The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, so um, I wanted to start out with a, uh, a quote from the Buddha. Um, when the Buddha knew that the householder's mind was ready, soft, free from hindrances, joyful and bright, he expounded the teaching special to the Buddhas. So this quality of soft mind, um, I wanted to talk about that today. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes it's useful to, um, to start out by talking about what soft mind is not. Um, and also, of course, if, if you're someone on the outside looking into Buddhist practice, into the teachings, and you hear that phrase, soft mind, you might think, well, that doesn't, that sounds like soft in the head. <laughs> you know, it's like, it sounds like a deficiency or something. So, um, so obviously that's not what we're talking about, soft in the head. Um, also, our culture has that phrase, um, hard-headed, hard-headed. And so that, um, that phrase is actually useful to look at, because if we look at the opposite of that, we're getting closer to soft mind. I mean, someone, when we talk about someone who's hard-headed, we're talking about someone who's, who's not receptive, right? Who's, who's not open, who's kind of closed and kind of hard um, in, their, in their minds um, and in their hearts. Um, so soft-headed, the opposite of that, is getting closer. And so if we look at the qualities of, um, that soft mind is not, soft mind um, is not a quality found in um, those who are really driven and constantly busy doing, doing, getting, getting, busy, uh, driven. Um, and, you know, this part of the world, we, there are a lot of people who are driven, right? <laughs> um, so um, it's um, not a quality found um, in um, people who are really focused on grasping, grasping um, rather than receiving. It's, um, it's not a quality found in someone who's tight, how can you have a soft, soft mind when your body is tight and tense? Um, when the mind is tight and tense, rather than relaxed. Um, a soft mind is is not going to be about me, mine. Um, and you know, for myself, in um, the spiritual care work that I did in hospitals, I worked with people. Um, of all cultures, many cultures, many different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds. A lot of people, um, particularly at the general, San Francisco general, a lot of people were homeless, had been homeless. Um, When I was working in Oxnard, which is a very agricultural community, um, there were migrant migrant immigrants um, that came into the hospital. 
And so um, what I found was that um, humility, um, humility was a very important quality um, that I needed to bring into the room. And of course, humility um, is um, really something rooted in soft mind, right? Um, um, So, you know, if I walked into the room... um, with a strong, my strong identity, here I am, I'm the chaplain. I'm (laughs) well-dressed, I have a job, and I'm here to help you, (laughs) you know. There's not going to be a connection. There's just not going to be a connection. So I cultivated a very um, soft, um, kind of humble presence so that I wasn't up here with them. I was really trying to be right there with them. Um, so I wanted to actually share a poem that, um, that came to me when I was um, thinking about this quality of not about me and mine, the quality of humility. It's a, it's a poem by Thich Nhat Hanh. It's called Diffuse Me. If, it, it seems also quite relevant in this world that we have today. If I were a bomb ready to explode, if I have become dangerous to your life, then you must take care of me. You think you can get away away from me, but how? I'm here, right in your midst. You cannot remove me from your life, and I may explode at any time. I need your care. I need your time. I need you to diffuse me. You are responsible for me because you have made the vow and I heard it, to love and to care. I know that to take care of me, you need much patience, much coolness. I realize that in you, there is also a bomb to be diffused. So why don't we help each other? I need you... I need you to listen to me. No one has listened to me. No one understands my suffering, including the ones who say they love me. The pain inside me is suffocating me. It's the TNT that makes up the bomb. There is no one else who will listen to me. That is why I need you. But you seem to be getting away from me. You want to run for your safety, the kind of safety that doesn't exist. I have not created my own bomb. It is you, society, family, school, tradition. So please don't blame me for it. Come and help. If not, I will explode. This is not a threat. It's only a plea for help. I will also be of help when it's your turn. So I really like that poem because um, in my work, there was always this sense that you know, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Um, it, it's, um, we may have a lot of differences culturally, socioeconomically, but it's a level playing field when we come to our humanity, right? That we're all in this life of um, great joy and great suffering together. And that created an immediate connection um, for me and the work that I did with people of all different 
faith traditions, all different backgrounds. So humility. Um, Another quality that soft mind is not is about forcing, forcing our minds to be a certain way. Um, When we show up for our practice, we often find that um, if we come with a lot of expectations, um, that we're not finding what we're looking for. (laughs) And we we often kind of tend to try to get hard, bear bear down hard um, on ourselves, on our minds. Why can't you be quiet? (laughs) I'm looking for peace, (laughs) you know? So... So soft mind is not about that. Soft mind is not about forcing. And it's not about turning on ourselves, right, when we show up for our practice. And it's not what we're looking for. Um, when our minds have trouble settling down. So, so, so soft mind, with soft mind, we can take a more gentle, persuasive um, um, attitude, towards what we find, to, towards an agitated mind, um, towards a distracted mind. Just gentle persuasion. So, you know, um, during the um, meditation, um, I used uh, a lot of um, metta. And, of course, metta is something that we can bring to our practice always when it's not what we want, you know, and then we, we can just we can just um, just accept ourselves as as we are. It's okay. It's okay. And when we bring that kind of uh, metta or loving kindness, that that has a tendency to soften, right? It has a tendency to soften, soften the mind as well as the heart. And in fact, when the Buddha was talking about a soft mind. You know, he wasn't referring to the intellect, right, or the thinking mind. He really was referring more to um, what we call um, uh, chitta or heart mind, heart mind. So this is um, our our whole being, right? Our whole being, and particularly particularly um, the heart. Um, So chitta is the Pali word for heart mind, and so this takes us away from um, when we um, consider the mind. It takes us away from intellect, thinking mind, and more. It's more really a a state of mind, a state of being. And chitta um, can be either contracted or expanded, expansive. And so that, this is why I like to work uh, a lot with the breath in the body. Because the more, um, the whole body, so the more we can um, breathe into the whole body, it, it creates an expansiveness, right? It really, um, it opens us. And um, we, we can become, um, I think, more receiving. Um, chitta can be uh, distracted and agitated or can be concentrated, um, Chitta can be tense and driven or relaxed. It can be dull or bright, heavy or light, burdened or joyful. So just being aware 
what is my heart-mind state right now? Um, Taking into consideration mind, body, heart. What is my heart-mind state in this moment? When you said that heart mind state, heart mind state, heart heart mind, heart mind state, how how does that differ from asking what are my emotions right now? Uh, about emotions? Yeah. Is yeah. it how is it different than asking oneself how am I feeling or what are my emotions? I mean, it feels like there is some quality that's deeper or and just. Well, uh, certainly uh, recognizing um, in a, our, our awareness holds everything. Our mindful awareness holds everything, right? So certainly awareness of um, what I'm feeling in the moment is part of it, part of heart-mind. Heart-mind includes the thinking, um, the body, the emotions. It's, it holds everything. And so that really is our practice, right? To, um, to be an open container for whatever um, arises. And so, you know, how do we cultivate, how do we cultivate soft mind? And um, I know that Andrea has been talking in past weeks um, about the hindrances, right? She's been covering the hindrances. And um, of course, those, um, the, the hindrances, those qualities of um, kind of wanting, desire, um, resistance, ill will, um, sleepiness, restlessness, doubt. Um, all of those really affect our mind's um, ability to be open, to be receptive, to be soft. Um, in, in Buddhism, we really talk about the hindrances as um, these states that cause the mind to become like brittle, brittle. Um, really hard to to work with in our practice. Um, in um, if if one of the hindrances is um, kind of taken over, then the the mind loses its malleability, our ability to shape it and um, investigate it, and to really clear clearly see um, and investigate our minds, come to know them, and then train them, really. Train them to be more under our control. Um, I remember years ago when I was on retreat um, in Yucca Valley, um, in the um, Joshua Tree Desert, and um, I became very enamored of these Joshua trees. They were, um, they're, they're almost like, like characters, you know. They, they take on like... Um, um, like a life, you know, and so um, there was a great di- kind of a long distance that I walked from the, where I was sleeping, the, the dormitory, dormitories to the meditation hall along a little trail and past these Joshua trees and I, I was, you know, I loved them there, I just, they made me smile and I just really, they took on this character. Well, a couple days into the retreat, I think it had to do with some caffeine withdrawal, but um, I suddenly had this incredible headache. It was um, just took over, and it was so painful. 
And I noticed that, um, again, as I was walking from the dormitory to the meditation hall, my whole perception changed. I saw those Joshua trees and it was like, oh, God, those are so ugly. Those are so weird looking. How could I ever have thought they were, you know, um, uh, attractive or, you know, it just colored my whole perception. And that particularly stood out to me that I had a completely different view of the Joshua tree. So, um, so these hindrances can really just really kind of color everything. Um, and I wondered if, um, I wondered if Andrea um, offered some ways of, um, for you to work with those hindrances and if anyone wanted to share um, anything that particularly worked for them in, um, in your practice, in, in coping with, <laughs> with hindrances when they arise. Does anybody want to share anything or anything in particular that worked or... Apropos for the discussion of today, I think the softness that whenever I feel something arising um, that's related to a hindrance, that as soon as I try to push it away and say, oh, don't, you know, Jennifer, don't go there, that doesn't work. It's more like, oh, so this is what is happening right now. Um, And just looking at, um, say, it's doubt that's arising, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, And having a soft attitude towards it seems to um, let it take its own course, but if I make any attempt to make it go away, it tends to um, get bigger and uh, more prominent. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so softness towards ourselves, um, so important in the practice. Um, yeah, the mind tends to, um, if we do try to co- combat it, push away, it tends to get stronger in its um, various ways of, um, you know, coloring our experience in ways we wish it wouldn't. <laughs> um, anyone else want to share anything? So I have a hindrance, which um, is a chronic illness that causes um, chronic pain. Um, and um, I had a, a beautiful experience um, over the weekend um, when I've been in a lot of pain in the past couple of weeks. But suddenly I just kind of said, oh, let me just go to bed with my pain and I was just saying kind things like you were describing and next thing I know I fell asleep for two hours and I woke up and the world was so beautiful and Mm. I just felt wow all this whole week I was just like oh my god I can't do anything and just in so much pain and here I am just accepting my pain and I have the most beautiful day Oh, thank you. Yeah. So a container that can hold everything. That's 
heart-mind, yeah, just accepting. Thank you. Anyone else have anything to share? Well, of course, the, um, the Buddha had very specific um, antidotes to the hindrances, ways to work with them. And um, so for sensual desire or lust, um, some people are plagued by lust, lust lustful thoughts. So the Buddha encouraged um, um, awareness of the true nature of the body. The body is, the complexity of it is beautiful. It, many parts of it look beautiful, but essentially it's made up of a lot of really kind of um, kind of gross, gloathsome things, right? I mean, so, so you know, if, if lust is one of your hindrances, then he encouraged, you know, looking at the reality of the body, you know, the reality of it, the fluids and everything that's not so beautiful. Um, you know, so sometimes we do see the unbeautiful as so captivating and beautiful, one of the um, aspects of delusion, seeing the um, unbeautiful as beautiful. Um, also, he um, recommended kind of guarding our sense doors, you know, kind of where, where do we want to place our um, attention? Can we, we can make choices. Um, the kind of food that we take in through our eyes and our ears, our tongues, mindfulness of eating was another um, antidote he recommended. Um, also, um, this practice that we do um, is a way of cultivating what the Buddha called unworldly pleasure. Unworldly pleasure, that sense of joy and rapture that comes from deep inside and that doesn't require us to um, take something from someone else or from the environment. It's just it's just there in us. Um, and this practice is about cultivating that. Those unworldly pleasures. So, um, so for the uh, second um, hindrance, ill will, um, resistance, the Buddha recommended this loving kindness practice. Right? Loving kindness practice. Um, the Brahma Viharas, the sublime abidings. So when we um, when we do this practice, um, it it really does begin to to develop our hearts, right? Our hearts, and so compassion, compassion, loving kindness, um, empathetic joy, you know, being happy when someone else is happy. Um, and equanimity, these are the Brahma Viharas, the sublime abidings. So um, just through the, the practice that we do, these, um, these qualities are, are cultivated in us, are brought up in us. I, I believe they're all there, but we lose, we lose touch. And then um, the other uh, recommendation of the Buddha was to um, reflect on, um, on karma, that we are the owners and heirs of our actions, and so if our actions are rooted in ill will, we know there will be suffering for paying attention. We'll know, we'll, we'll know that there's suffering in that for us. 
and maybe for the people around us, right? So reflection on, on karma. So sleepiness, sleepiness. Um, so um, we can often, the, the Buddha pointed out, we can often use the breath to energize if we find that we're kind of nodding, nodding off or whatever. We can use, change the quality of our breathing, right? And kind of see if that energizes us. Um, we can stand up. We can, um, we can rub, rub our ears, he said. Rub our ears, rub our face. We can, we can get some water and, and splash it on our, on our face and in our eyes. We can walk around, you know? Just being aware that, oh, this is sleepiness. And what, something that works for me is, um, you know, if I find that I'm kind of nodding off in my practice, sometimes I just accept it. I just get soft around it. And I accept it because I know I must be really tired. So it's part of my kindness to myself. And what I find is that I may zone out for, I don't know, five, ten minutes, and then I come out of it and I'm refreshed. I'm refreshed. So, you know, everyone has to kind of find their their own way of working with these hindrances. We're all different. Um, So, uh, restlessness. Restlessness. Um, The Buddha recommended this, this practice that we do of bringing tranquility to the body, which was why... Um, I did that guided meditation starting um, in the belly and working its way through the chest and up through the head and then down this way, um, which really brings in the whole, the whole of the body and encourages this tranquility um, throughout the body. And tranquility in the body often brings tranquility to the mind. It's a powerful connection, which is why the Buddha um, emphasized so much mindfulness of the body and the breath. Um, he said, really, that's the only practice that you need. And, um, and then doubt. So um, he recommended to, um, to reflect on um, the lives of the, the great masters who went before. So reflecting on the life of the Buddha and um, those who came after the Buddha, and the qualities, the qualities that they embodied, the highest qualities that we can aspire to as human beings, right? So we can, when we have doubt, we can reflect on that. So um, another aspect of um, our practice um, that can cause our minds to kind of sh- shut down, to harden, to judge, to react, is the arising of um, really unpleasant thoughts and emotions, right? Um, and um, our minds come up with the most um, surprisingly um, ugly, <laughs> unworthy thoughts from time to time, right? Right? Um, and we can, you know, we can really wonder, what, what's, what's up with me? Is there something wrong with me? Um, I remember a few weeks ago, um, I was really angry with someone who, um, who had hurt me. And in my meditations, and even as I went about my day, I would have the, um, this, um, these thoughts or fantasies of really awful things happening to this person. 
Um, and um, it was just um, shocking to me. It was I was horrified. You know, it was like at first <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was horrified. And then after a while, I realized, okay, so this is what's arising. How am I going to um, practice with this? So, so I accepted, accepted, but I just didn't feed them. I didn't feed them. And as they kept arising, finally, I just started to laugh. <laughs> it's like, because I knew that wasn't, those fantasies weren't coming out of my true self. It was just the mind. The mind does these things in terms of protecting, always trying to protect um, and um, keep us safe. Um, it's, it's the mind's job, right? And it's a good thing that we have it because we recognize when we're in danger and we can get out of danger, hopefully. But then there's this other aspect of it, that um, these thoughts and fantasies and stories um, that we wish we weren't having. It's really the impurities, um, the impurities in our minds. Um, that's where these fantasies and stories are rooted. And so this practice is all about um, kind of exposing all of that, right? Exposing all of that to our mindfulness. And in that way, these impurities um, of the mind, greed, hatred, and delusion, they, they gradually... Um, start to get worked out of us. That's what this practice is all about. It's, um, it's a process of purification. So, um, also what I found helpful, um, there's this very specific teaching that the Buddha gave around um, these kinds of um, really unpleasant arisings. And he, um, he gave it, uh, the teaching was around the five elements or the, actually, the, he specifically mentioned earth, air, fire, and water. And he, um, he encouraged um, his um, practitioners, he encouraged us, to be um, just as non-reactive as the earth when these things arise. And when you think about the earth, the earth just receives everything. The most horrible and disgusting things just receives it. Um, the Buddha put, put it as um, the agreeable and the disagreeable. Just receives it. Um, and um, when, you, um, when you think about um, uh, fire also, um, fire burns everything. Water washes everything. Wind blows everything. So, um, so this is, I think, I, I like that, um, particularly I like the um, thinking of myself as the earth when these things arise. Solid, unmoved, non-reactive. And so as we, um, as we come to our practice consistently with the agreeable, the disagreeable, and we really begin to develop this patience, which is a, lo- a big part of soft mind, I believe, a patience. We're um, patient with ourselves and then patient with others. 
and we develop stability, right? Stability, solidity in the midst of it all. And so the stability and um, solidity helps us to really be present and really see with clear seeing what's, what's happening, to really investigate our minds and how they cause us to suffer. Um, and so receptivity, um, softness, kindness, patience, and remembering, I think, always that, um, that we all possess um, really kind, compassionate, loving hearts. They've just been covered over. But this is really what is um, um, deep inside of us all. And I think a recognition of that um, helps to keep us soft, helps to keep us patient um, with ourselves. And, um, and that we are really practicing with um, a noble, this is a noble effort that we put forth, right? Um, we're really following in the footsteps of, of the Buddha and um, all the others who, um, who came after. And, you know, the Buddha often began um, his teachings to his um, monks and nuns and lay people by, um, by addressing them, Oh, nobly born. Oh, nobly born. We have a noble birth. And we have a noble effort in our practice. And... Um, Effort is really one thing that um, I want to talk about next week and how we can practice um, right or wise effort that's not too caught up in striving, too caught up in expectations. Um, So that's for next week. So um, I wanted to stop now and see if anyone had any... um, Anything they wanted to add or questions or anything really? Um, I really appreciated the poem, the Thich Nhat Hanh poem, and the line of the pain inside being the TNT. And when I think about a bomb and the TNT inside a bomb, what makes it so destructive is the tight enclosed space. If we can open that up and give it spaciousness and pour the TNT out, then it could just burn and not explode. So I, I think to me the message there too is the idea of um, giving spaciousness um, to, to all of my hindrances, all of my... Um, vicious thoughts when someone harms me. Um, I find that to be um, one of the ways that I bring mindfulness to that mind state or that emotion is um, holding it in a place of space. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. This sense that, you know, we're all in this together and Softness, care, love. Yeah, a lot of bombs going off lately.
I wanted to ask you a little bit about what I consider sort of the next step um, beyond the soft, open mind, which is I'm soft and I'm receiving and I feel like it's a really um, good open space and then something enters that is excruciatingly painful. And then what? You know, sort of that next step of being soft and open and receptive and then, um, you know, poison. Okay, so poison is practice. What do you actually do with that poison in terms of practice? And that is uh, a challenge that I face, and I was wondering if you could say anything about that. Could you say that last thing again? That is a challenge that I face, and I was wondering if you could say anything about that once you feel like you have received and you... You know what it is, and you can sort of identify the poison. And I have this concept of, okay, the poison is the practice, but a lot of times I don't exactly um, know what that means or what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the pain, um, the pain of life. Yeah. Life is painful. Life is like that sometimes. And um, to... Um, to be with that pain as much as possible is the practice. Um, to, um, to, to be with a broken heart. Yeah, and it hurts, it does. And um, so, so that's why um, it's, it's important to... Um, to consistently practice so that you have some kind of stability, although sometimes even people who have been practicing a long time get kind of knocked off balance. Um, but to be aware of um, you know, what we add to the pain is the suffering, and to kind of use your practice, first of all, to get a little distance from the sadness, the grief, the brokenheartedness. Oh, it's like this, just what you're doing. And it doesn't mean it will go away. But, um, and, and in fact, it's, it's really what deepens us. Um, you know, and I can, um, uh, I can speak to that just from all the um, tragedies that I've been present for, with, for, for other people. And... Um, that it is a way of, um, if our heart is broken, it somehow deepens us and it somehow um, keeps opening, particularly with our practice. Sometimes people do close down. I've seen it happen. Something terrible happens and they close their hearts. I can't take it and I'm never going to be hurt again. And they go through life closed down. And um, so, so this practice that we have encourages um, us to stay with that pain, to practice with it, to stay open and stay soft, as painful as it is. And sometimes we have to reach out. You know, we have, to, we have teachers here we can reach out to. Um, for some people, it's a therapist that they need to engage with. But you're talking about the pain of being human. Yeah. So, and um, 
for myself. I'm so happy that I had this practice because it's carried me through some really painful times. So I feel very grateful for it. I thank the Buddha and Gil every day. (laughs) You know. You know. Anyone else? Um, I wanted to ask you with your background in working with in hospitals is how how do you work with people with illness and accepting that pain mm. if you have any tips to mm-hmm. share well the first thing i do is i do a little i i bring a humble and um peaceful presence into the room so that I, you know people actually do trust enough to talk to me and then I do just what I do with my practice. I do a little investigation. I, I investigate um, what supports this person. You know, because we're all different. What does this person have to support him or her during this health crisis? You know, and, and um, what is it that will nurture their spirit, their human spirit? Because that's um, very important in terms of when illness, is to find, um, a, find a way to nourish that spirit because that's what's going to be healing. It might not cure the person, but it will certainly bring some healing. And um, so for some people, you know, it's their faith. People have uh, very strong faith. And so that's where I go. Maybe we pray together. Um, for some people, they like meditation. I mean, they're, they're open to, I, sometimes I do um, like a breathing meditation to help them relax. Um, sometimes there's some reaching out that needs to happen to family. You know, maybe there's some disconnected disconnection um, and they, they feel very alone. And I'm there with them. Um, and I'm there to, um, to listen and no judging, um, open heart, um, and um, I'm there to, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with them. They want to cry. That's also very healing. Um, the strong, painful emotions, I, I like to encourage people to get those out because the nurses don't have time to, to take that on, to listen and take that on, although sometimes they do. I mean, there's amazing nurses at the San Francisco General. But just to, you know, to, to help them get out their, um, their grief, their anger, whatever it is, because that's um, those, what we call the painful emotions, kind of can stand in the way of healing. Um, so it's really um, first that process of investigation. What is it that this person... Um, what is it that supports this person? Can you translate all the things? Can you translate all the things that you do for? Like I was listening to what you are doing for those people. Is it could, could I translate this as things I could do for myself? Mm, that you could do for yourself. Yes, like I could just repeat everything you just said mm. for myself. Uh huh. Have you had? I don't know. Is it? Maybe I should try? I don't know. I see. Um, well, um, 
if you're, if you're uncertain about what it is that really supports you in life, because life does, in, in, in the midst of all the joys, there's very painful things that happen, right? So, um, but you're here, so I think you have a sense of what could support you. I've seen you here a lot. So maybe you have found what supports you and what will um, you know, bring some healing to you. Um, but you're right, those are very good questions to ask, for us to ask ourselves, you know. Um, how, do we, um, how do we frame our lives? What, what is it that really gives meaning and purpose? And um, why are we doing this practice? Good questions. You know, what, what, is it that, um, what is it that nourishes and um, enlivens my spirit? What is it that brings me to life? Well, let's just, um, let's just sit for a few minutes then and we'll end. So I'd like to end with a couple verses from the Dhammapada. All experiences led by mind, made by mind, preceded by mind, act or speak with a corrupted mind, and suffering will follow as the wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is led by mind, made by mind, preceded by mind. Act or speak with a peaceful mind and happiness will follow like a never-departing shadow. <laughs>